The following is an at-will presentation. Ian. Ian, I see him. A soldier on ground zero, an explorer, a hero, a fellow queerdo warrior storyteller, filmmaker, feller, anthropologist, collector of experiences, fighter of discrimination, documentarian. For instance, take me on vacation, Ian. Straight-cation, gay-cation, human-cation. Hot air balloon, sail around all the nations. Let's bring a picnic basket and share fables of creation and hallucinations. Imagine the water cooler conversations he must have, dripping in emotional condensation. Ian, I see him. Proud. I am proud of this man and his work, and I don't even know him. Ian, I see him. Fact. It went down in the DM. Quotation. Nico. We have the same chest hair, which I take as a sign that maybe we should be friends. Feel free to hit me up if you are in NYC and free. Word. <laughs> Truth is, I knew it was coming. Word. Visions of him on gaycation, and I know I have the powers of mystification. Fact of the matter is, I was waiting. I saw him on Raya, breath-baited. We've been on the same team for years. It's about time we shared dreams and fears. Text ensued, and I asked him to do the love bump. A first encounter on the radio. Ian, I see him. Counter my thoughts with yours. Visualizations of intellectual penetrations. Yes, I just said penetrations. The dude we know from Gaycation. Ian, I see him. Ian, James, Daniel, let's have a conversation. Psychomagically, no limitations. My name is Nico Tortorella. Welcome to the Love Bomb. This is a conversation with a man I love named Ian. You asked me if I wanted to write something. Yeah. And I said, let's both write something. And right. you wrote love, right? Which is like, let's do it. Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> yeah, so I was listening to the beginnings of your podcast, like seeing your jam, yeah. not to mimic your vibe, but mm -hmm. I just was like, I'll write something. Along those lines. Whatever yeah. comes up. I get right? it. So this is what I wrote. Yeah, I hear I you. I haven't read it out loud. I don't know if it has any rhythm. Okay. Okay. But That's I'm, fine. But I'm calling it Nico. Okay. Okay. What will we be at the end of this, Nico? Will I get beyond the glitter of you, past the good looks? Will you even be able to tell? You, the Hollywood heartthrob, the heart-shaped nose, the heart like a soldier in military training, making heart-shaped bombs out of your electric air. Me, the boy who's willing to die. Me, the blast. Me, the bruise. Me, the head always at war. Us. Could we be the battlefield on fire that they watch ignite and burn with a real flare? I want to pick apart your idolized architecture, Nico. The pillars, the bricks, the attic, the pool parties for the stars. Get fully into your cheekbones of a loneliness, a secret despair. From this angle, you remind me of James Dean. The matador, the lone wolf, the corvette at full speed, the revolving door, the wrong turn, Lights, high beam. We know he fucked women, Nico, and more quietly, men. Oh, that tormented soul. Have you seen the photo of him naked jacking off in a tree? It could easily be you. I had wished it could be me. 
My mother drove me to Jimmy's hometown, looking for that tree, you see. The whole ride we sang till our throats could bleed. I put my head on his gravestone. For a full minute, I fell asleep. For a full minute, I could finally dream. My God, how much can we really say with just one microphone, Nico? I think we'll need 20. Maybe I'll tell you about the dark cosmos in my head, the gases, the chaos, the perpetual big bangs. I wish I could say my head is an ashram, Nico. A peace, a silence, a steady om, a space for us to find solace in. Let's see how long this lasts. Maybe you'll tell me about the greenhouse from where you come, where all the beautiful things grow, a new breed, a glossy hybrid, a desert rose. People like you manipulate evolution. You, a natural phenomenon that warms the Earth's atmosphere. What type of radiation is trapped under your surface tan? Will you be willing to let me dig? We are of nature, the two of us, okay? We flutter, we collapse, we rise. A psychic told me we are hummingbirds, Nico. No one should ask us to be a fucking beaver. Maybe I'll tell you that we are systems of flight. But I do wonder, Nico, how good is your vision out of that lazy right eye? <laughs> is there a limit to your sight? By the end of this, will we look out past what we can actually see, past the outskirts of infinity? Can we help each other get beyond this motherfucking skin? Maybe you'll tell me that in the real world, you don't fit into a box. You're neither this nor that. You're beyond definition. You're beyond language. Maybe I'll say, let's intertwine our tongues, create our own. And maybe you'll tell me you'll touch tongues, but not for the sake of words. Words fail, words destroy. What do we do when we are tired of talk? And maybe I'll say we float. Luckily, you're like water, Nico, even though your element is fire. <laughs> and I'll build my raft onto your slippery back, grab on, glide so fast that we die, we rise. Where will we be at the end of all of this, Nico? Which one of us will be the new James Dean? What will we be? Of course there'll be lovers in Lisbon, Berlin, Mumbai, New Orleans. Of course there'll be murders in Rio and Kingston and Kiev and DC. And of course there'll be bombs in Syria, Liberia, Ukraine, and Tennessee. But will there still be bombs left in Nico's little heart? Let's get on with this already. Yes, let's go now and see. Soon, Nico, this will embarrass me. And maybe I'll tell you that you will too. Bam! Holy shit! Like, you're not fucking around with that at all. That was, I, that was yeah. so amazing. I just want to, like, thank you. Oh, my God. I was shaking a little. Yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, but that was, like, unbelievable to say that you're not no, a I mean, writer. I was feeling any, that was so... I, I'm so excited to read it again. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. For people that don't know who you are... Mr. Ian, who are you? What do you do? Um, well, I think, yeah, I'm I'm on a show called Gaycation. I'm the co-host and executive producer on Gaycation on Viceland. That's that's the thing I'm known for right Woo. now, I guess. Yeah, it's an incredible show if anybody hasn't been watching it, which I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably watching Gaycation. Um, but what is Gaycation for people that don't know what it is? It's a... Uh, um, it's a multitude of things, but the bottom line is that it's it's a sort of travel show that focuses on LGBTQ culture and politics and issues around the world. Um, and I and I host it with my dear friend Ellen Page, the actress. It was her idea. 
Um, and then they brought me on as a co-host and then executive producer. But yeah, we uh, we travel the world together as best friends, and we're just talking to people about about their lives, you know, about their struggles, their oppression, their triumphs, their joy, what they do for fun, what they don't do for fun, mm-hmm. uh, how they find I feel like interesting people. It's interesting that you said trials and oppression before triumphs and celebration or whatever you said, because I do think that it kind of focuses on the negative before it focuses on the positive. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think it focuses on the reality, right? right? And I think that's, I don't think we're coming in, you know, the title is, um, it, it leads people to believe that we're there to like look at what the what fun gay life is like. Right. And, and of course there are elements of fun. And I think that's more centered on what are the spaces for LGBTQ people and are there spaces for people in certain countries and how do people actually come together to form community and, and hang out and, and celebrate themselves, right? That's just one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think, but mainly what you're finding in most countries is that people really are struggling. Uh, and I think that we aren't necessarily trying to focus on the negative. We're just trying to focus on the reality and what, what people are just actually going through in an interior way and right. external way and how yeah. politics comes into play and things like that. Yeah. What's been the most rewarding thing that you've taken from the show thus far? And also the scariest thing that you've taken from the show thus far? Uh, I think the most rewarding thing is that I am humbled and inspired and um, shattered wide open by people's honesty and willingness to share their stories uh, in the face of danger. Mm. Uh, People really are risking their lives to tell us what they're about and uh, the struggles that they go through. So I think I'm just forever grateful that people are willing to sit down in front of me and, and and say their truth. I mean, it amazes me to be in the presence of these people. Uh, so that's that's the most rewarding thing because it, I'm just in awe of people's perseverance for the most part in the face of such sometimes really devastating violence and oppression. So there's that. Um, and I think that the, I'm sitting there with gratitude because I know it's captured on camera and I know that the world will be able to experience what I'm able to experience on some level. Right? It's not really about me, but of course I get something out of it very fully. It's just really about I'm so excited that we have the container, which is the show, to be able to share this with the world and hopefully someone learns something from it. Um, either LGBTQ people uh, find a connection to it or people that are hateful towards LGBTQ people might start questioning why they're oppressing others and potentially why they discriminate if they're watching the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And then I think the scariest thing is the reality of what some people go through. Uh, And that's the most heartbreaking, horrifying thing is the reality that that people are really violated for the way that they represent themselves or the way that they define themselves or the way they walk down the street. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like personally scared necessarily. Well, that was my next question. Yeah. Had you ever felt afraid for your life while filming it? You don't feel afraid for your life. I think you feel, um, yeah, sometimes it is scary. And I think I look at it more, the reality of what people are saying is scary. So there's a scene in Brazil with the cop, mm-hmm. uh, ex-cop, who admits to running people over, killing people, yeah. being hired to kill people. We knew the reality of that going in, that that was going to be the scenario. I didn't know what he would look like or what energy he would bring to the table. 
So I wasn't scared that he was going to do anything to us. You're scared about the interaction, uh, scared about the potential evil mm-hmm. in the interaction. And I, I literally yeah. felt an evil, an evil energy when he entered the space. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I felt it even watching it on my couch. <laughs> like, yeah, you look into someone's eyes like that, and they radiate a darkness. Right. Uh, but our job is to try to understand. Mm. That's where I come from. It's so if I can understand the the core of where that hatred comes from a little bit more, I think that's what I'm trying to get at and what I'm trying to share with our audience. So my questioning to him mainly was, what, why? You know, why do you feel that way? Did something happen? A lot of it's not in the in the actual scene, but it really was. I was interrogating him about why. Did something happen in your life? Is it religion? Is it your family? Where like where does this come from? Did you get to the bottom of it? No, I mean he had some he had some secrets in his past right. in terms of his family interactions, but also his son was gay, and he had walked in on his son with another man, and that triggered something in him, and he kicked the son out, and the son is gone somewhere I don't know, uh, and that sort of on some level triggered his violence. <laughs> um, but I yeah I think for me is I always have this strange urge to hug everyone, yeah, and. I Did sort you of hug him? no, <laughs> no. I wanted to. I don't. It just it's like an urge of. Yeah. I know that you're an awful uh, person. You know you've brought horrible things into people's families and killed people and destroyed people's lives. And at least that's what you're saying to me and admitting to you on camera. So, how much compassion do we have for people like that? And I have compassion. I I think that it's just about where do people take the turn into hateful. Hmm hateful ideology, hateful behavior, hateful ways of thinking. Where does that where does that synapse break and where does that come from? And I think I'm always trying to to get to that more and more on the show and and clearly in my daily life that's something I'm focused on. Right. Do you feel like doing all of this work on the show has changed a lot of your daily life? Yeah. Definitely. It You know, I'm I'm hesitating because I'm realizing it's been a while since the second season came right. out, and I've been going through a lot of personal um, discovery mm. and trauma and acknowledgement of what I've been doing. And so, on one level, it wakes you up. Right. It's a it's it's a show that uh, its its purpose is to expand people's minds and hearts and souls. And I'm the I'm the the, the vehicle vessel, for yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. So it does all that for me. I feel expanded. I feel enriched. I feel uh, pushed. I feel uh, on the edge. I feel um, utterly grateful and full. But also you feel sad, uh, almost on an existential level sometimes. You you sometimes feel helpless and hopeless um, that it's very difficult to change people's minds. It's very difficult to have these conversations. It's very difficult to shift someone's way of thinking when they're so set in their ways. And I, I think I personally know in, the, in my core that you, you know, that is possible. Uh, I've seen it happen. I've done it myself. But I think when you think about it on like a global scale or um, in a bigger way, it just feels overwhelming. Where did this all come from? Like, where did you? How did you? decide that this is what you wanted to do not necessarily the show vacation but even your line of work yeah i mean well do you want to know do you want to know how vacation got started or 
I, I mean, just want to know whatever. Whatever, however you want to answer I that question. Say, how yeah. I get, well, I think, you know, to start back before, I, I look at, I, I think I look at my life, it's just like an ever-evolving, growing thing that I try to push at, right? I'm trying to push one thing. I got to push my career forward. I got to make this thing so that I can become this thing and mm-hmm. be recognized for this thing. And I think instead it's this sort of like rolling ball that that picks up things as it goes and it builds and it amounts to something at some points and then it unravels sometimes and it builds back up again i don't know so i feel like i was my life was aligning in a way that met the show meaning you know for example i met ellen like eight years ago i was like living on an eco village in oregon Hmm. trying you know learning about permaculture really trying to learn about being self-sufficient you know how to how to raise chickens, how to grow your own food, how to catch rainwater, how to, I just wanted to really understand my own independence fully. If I can rely on no one, I only rely on myself. How do I do that in a whole ecosystem? So I was on that kick. Love that kick. And, and Ellen was just off of Juno and she was having her own sort of existential thing. Like, what am I? I need to like get back to the land and figure it out. And so we met in this place called Lost Valley in Oregon and we're studying in this classroom about like farming and you know things that we probably won't really use in our life but we had an instant connection so there's all of that happening and then I'm moving you know when I move back to New York I'm working in the art world I'm curating but I'm also um I'm I'm starting to make my own documentary work and I've been making this documentary in Rockaway and following people around for several years now and really like pushing myself to the edges and to the limits of what I can handle. It's dangerous, it's it's heavy, it's traumatic, it's beautiful, it's poetic. And so I was already involved in that kind of listening, uh, a deep deep listening uh and risk taking by by listening and getting involved in people's lives in a maybe in a way that was too intimate and potentially problematic. Anyway, I was working on that and I also was working at a theater company called The Civilians and and I was the director of art programs and that was all based on interviews. So I would manage tons of interview projects and the the biggest project I worked on was we interviewed over 200 people about death and dying uh, and the afterlife in New York. Mm. So I interviewed tons of amazing people. Wow, 200 Um, people. Yeah, we turned that into a, a theater piece. Um, How long was the theater piece? It's like two hours. Okay. Yeah, we performed it a few times. But my, my main work was getting those interviews and finding interesting people and having a team that, that did all that. And that was really gratifying and, yeah. and life-changing. So that led me to Gaycation, which was I was really ready to listen. Right. I knew that I could listen. I knew that I could uh, I knew I could be trusted with people's stories. And I knew that I could convey that trust. And I was strong enough to convey to people that you can tell me your story and I can hold it and uh, and I can help share that with the world if you're interested mm-hmm. um, and just make a safe space yeah as quick as possible yeah, yeah and you you know you do that with your beha- your body language mm-hmm. and you have to really be an open person like I you can't do this kind of work unless you're actually willing to a if you're already open but you have to always be like opening mm-hmm. so I thought oh I'm open-minded I'm I'm free living. I'm like an open vessel, and I find out every time I'm not as open as I can be. So it's a, it's I know a, about that. You know how it goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's all that. And how old are you? Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Yeah, I just turned thirty-five. Where'd you grow up? Indiana. Where in Indiana? Southern Indiana, a town called Washington, Indiana. Washington. And Vincennes, Indiana. Okay. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you left? Uh, I was twenty-two. 
Where'd you go to college? In Indiana, oh, a you school did. called DePaul. Not, okay. Not DePaul with, DePaul no, with, with a W. w. Yeah, 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 I know about DePaul. Yeah, I, like right when I got out of college, I moved here. Okay. Um, what were you like as a little kid? Uh, well, it's interesting because I'm in therapy now, as one <laughs> might imagine. And so I've been asking a lot of questions about my childhood. Yeah. I was very outgoing, uh, but very stressed out. And I'd get migraines. I wanted things to be very perfect, and I wanted to excel. Mm. But I was very, I always had like 25 projects going on, which I still do to this day. And I don't, I was, I feel like I was a pretty good kid, yeah. Do you remember the first time you were in love? Um, yeah. First time I was in love. Well, you know, I think there's a potential confusion in my mind sometimes between obsession Mm. and love. And was I obsessed with people on some level? Yes. And I do remember, uh, they, yeah, I remember a boy in grade school that I truly was infatuated with to the point where he was a troublemaker and from a poorer family than mine. Um, and I was well-behaved, and I started to become – I started to misbehave. You got bad. I got bad. I would, like, <laughs> I would just get detention so I could stand with him at the at recess. I and, love that. Yeah, I, w- I, I think about him sometimes because I think I truly did have a – I had a major crush on him. Did he know that yeah. you were that obsessed with him? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think he liked it. But then we pretended that we were in love with the same girl. It became competitive. Hmm. I didn't, you know. I've never told this story on, mm. on this podcast, but um, when I was a little kid, I had a neighbor. And as most people do, right? They have neighbors. Yeah. Um, but... We had this game where we would, like, little kid, like, probably grade school, where we would go back, like, by the train tracks behind the school, and we would take off each other's pants, not sexual at all, but, like, rub each other's butts, and it was this game that we called Baby, and I, like, I knew it was wrong, because at one point, he, like, wanted to play it at my house, and I was like, no, 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 like, we, mom can't see us play this game, like, we can't play this game. And I think that was like the last time we ever talked about it. But like, I think about it all the time. I have no idea what this dude's doing, or like, wasn't friends with him past middle school, probably. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know why that story sticks out in my head. Well, because it's a symbol for who you are, right? And I think that those images stick with you because they're so important. Because they, you, you know, you even labeled it wrong yeah. uh, because that was, society gave you that label of like that's a wrong thing to do. And actually, it's pretty natural for us to want to discover each other's bodies and like rub them together and see if they fit together. Right. And yeah, I mean, and I, when I was really little, I think the first time I knew I was. I knew a couple times when I'm like, I'm gay. Like, I, like, I'm very attracted to men, and that was just through the fantasy world. But how, how old? Uh, it must have been very young. Uh, I was, because my mother is a single mother, and she was a nurse, and she worked nights. She worked really hard. Mm. And she would put me in this, uh, I had a babysitter, but was also kind of like an orphanage. So this woman had tons of uh, adopted children, and I mean, just like tons of different types of kids. All types of people. All types around. of kids, yeah. Okay. And so it was pretty wild. And I remember <laughs> that there was a boy there who was troubled, right? He just had, had a really rough life. I don't know. I just remember this like wild child. You have a thing um, for troubled boys. Clearly, yeah. yeah. Clearly. Uh, and uh, and we were, you know those wax lips uh-huh. that you buy at the store? We yeah. would always put those on and like make out with them <laughs> in the corner. And I was really into it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of cool, man. <laughs> yeah. And that was like my first moment of like, oh, I'm, I'm into this. And then I had a camp counselor. Uh, 
in, in like a Baptist camp. Oh. And he was super Did you grow sexy. up Baptist? Yeah. Oh, wow. A little bit. Yeah, I would sing in the Baptist church. but uh, And so it was like a musical Baptist camp. But mm-hmm. the camp counselor was so hot. And he, all the other boys loved him, but I felt like he had an eye out for me. And he would just like rub my head when we would um, take naps and stuff. Hmm. And I knew something was like a little bit weird. <laughs> but I'm like, I really <laughs> enjoy it. I was yeah. into it. Not, you know, I didn't, I won't take it there. But he used to like write me letters and things. And I think about him. Huh. You know, what if that was my true love? <laughs> the head rubber. <laughs> true, I, my favorite day in school mm-hmm. was when the moms would come in and check you for lice. Oh, mm-hmm. It was just like... The moms? The moms. They oh, would just like come and like... Thing? I don't really at all. But just they would just come and rub your heads and check you for lice. Oh, my God. I like get the shivers even just thinking so like about it. sexual at one, age one? You serious? At age yeah. one? Yeah. Um, how old were you when you came out to your family? That's more complicated, I think, um, because it's come out... I've come out on different levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother and father... I'm, they're separated, mm-hmm. right? But they're very open-minded people. And my mom is, you know, loves queer people, goes to gay bars. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, the first time my mom was in, she moved to Bloomington, getting away from the horrible relationship, moved to to the new town, and, and Bloomington had a gay bar called Bullwinkles. My mom was going to the gay bar all the time, knew all the drag queens, and Fantastic. I was still in the closet. And I would I went to Bloomington with my mother, went to the gay bar, and that was the first time I was 22 that was the first time that I slept with a guy and my mom was like go talk to him I was like oh he's looking at me should I go talk to him she was like go talk to him so she like knew oh yeah Yeah. she was you know she's always wanted me to be gay before I was comfortable with it that doesn't mean my whole life she was comfortable with it I mean she admits to I could have done more to to allow you to have that space to do that Um, and then my dad who wasn't around but he he lived in New York, and and he always preached uh, liking all types of people. Hmm. Uh, and what was he doing in New York? He's a drummer. Okay. And he had a he had a studio. He's in a band, and he had a studio on Bleecker Street. Wow. And back in the day, that was like the gay mecca. Yeah. So I was, you know, he's always like, "It's totally cool. Gay <sighs> people are fucking cool." Huh. And I'm like, "Well, that's not what they're saying in Indiana." Yeah. Also, you know that. So that infiltrated my mind, and also in. In his band, he had people from all over the world, Africa, Haiti, uh, Spain, um, and 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 so I was around really interesting people in the summertime, and that really helped open me up uh, and, and got me away from the realities of Indiana. Right. I mean, in high school, was were there any gay kids in, in your graduating class? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, that were open about it? Well... I don't know. Not really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you just couldn't avoid it. Right. I think that's the interesting thing I reflect on a lot, even being on the show, is that there were, there, there are kids that you know that are, we all, you all know who's right. like feeling differently. Mm-hmm. And, and there were more, I guess you would say, visibly flamboyant guys in my grade, and they had a really hard time. Mm. And, and, you know, I don't know the reasons, but one of them has killed himself mm. and things like that. But I remember him being tormented and tortured and... Um, and that doesn't mean that I didn't go without people uh, harassing me on some level and having a hard time, but I also was able to sort of uh, assimilate right. because I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a dad to, like, teach me what to do, and 
uh, you know, I kind of on some level was very independent as a child and I thought I'm going to have to survive this. I'm going to have to blend in. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot because if I didn't have, I felt like I had to do that uh, or it would be, I would suffer. Right. And so I kind of question sometimes like, what would I be now if I didn't have to do that? Uh, would I be different? Um, or express I'm, myself differently? Imagine if we had social media back then too. <laughs> right. I mean, what, what we, seriously, we would be different people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, also on the coming out thing, just to say, like, I, you know, but I've had to, like, really come out on the show, Mm. and that was a question I had to ask myself. Do you want to, do do you want the whole world to know that you're gay? I have a show called Gaycation, and, like, what does that mean, and do you care? Because you're making a real shift there, which I'm understanding now, right? right? Um, And, and, you know, I had to tell my grandmother, I didn't really tell, even though she's, we're really close, but I had to say, you know. It's my, coming. My grandma's one of my best friends in the whole world, and she's the only person in my family that has no idea at all like, I know, where I stand. You should tell her. I, I know. She hard. would never talk to me ever again. Really? Yeah. I mean, she's an asshole, but <laughs> I love the shit out of her. Yeah, my you grandma's know? one of my best friends. And, yeah, me too. And um, she took it really well. And, and, you know, then it's like then my whole high school mm. gets a hold of me. They're like, oh, I saw your show. And, you know, yeah. always knew you were going to be on TV. And then I'm like, wait, you're not acknowledging the gay part or what? You know, yeah. it's, it's times are different. Right. But so my extended family now is like Ian's out and proud. And it's just like that. It's that's what happened. I didn't I'm just going on that ride now, <laughs> you know. And um, and so it's it's been an interesting coming like journey into the coming out. And now I'm 30, like 33 when the show came out. Okay, I'm like out to the world. Mm-hmm. I can live my life however the fuck I want to do it. Not that I was like hiding in New York, but right. it's just different. Yeah. On that same topic, oh, yeah. do you get recognized mm-hmm. in a lot of places that you go now? Mm-hmm. It's not that big a deal, mm-hmm. but yeah. Like, what do people say? Just, oh, I love the show. Blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, people have a real connection. So yeah. it's different, I think, than if I were an actor. Right. Uh, so, how do I put this? The connection. There are two levels. If I go to a gay space, mm-hmm. uh, people definitely recognize me. They think for the most part when someone recognizes me, they have a story to tell. They have a personal hmm. journey of their own that the show is connecting them to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's straight or trans or gay or bi right. or whatever. I think that I'm noticing a lot of straight people watch the show because they like the travel idea of it they love Viceland so they're watching our show and they stop me on the train and they're so excited that they met me And but they have a story too oh my grandma didn't accept it either and I started getting her to watch the show and she's cool with it and and I've had I mean I have an overwhelming uh, amount of responses of personal stories of of what the show means to people Uh, so there's that element which is I feel totally excited when people know me from the show because yeah. that means you're watching it and it means you're connecting with it um, yeah, and you're just living on another level <laughs> yeah yeah from the town we were born we've been brought out to be um alright yeah relationship history what's uh what's your story like the whole history what, yeah I mean like uh, how you know how many relationships have you been in what's your right, longest relationship simple, simple. so I've been in oh, traumatic 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 um, <laughs> traumatic relationships I've I feel like I've been in a lot of relationships with straight men ah. that are not necess- that are not necessarily sexual but they're hyper emotional 
they are codependent mm. and they rip out my heart yeah and i don't know what they do to these guys but on some of these guys I'm still friends with and there's an acknowledgement now years later that we were kind of dating or that was, what were we doing yeah. and I feel like fuck now you're just now realizing that thank you so there's that that went on for a long time um, and so I didn't I mean, really do you think s- that you were kind of looking for it I think that what I'm learning is that I'm afraid sometimes of deep intimacy and deep affection like physical intimacy no not physical um I think that with the straight guys, there was a boundary. Right. Like, this isn't really going to go anywhere. Yeah. This can only go so far. Even though I pushed it as far as it could go, I knew that there was going to be a breaking point, a stopping. Um, and so I've been reflecting on that. I don't know how many people go through that, but hopefully someone can relate to that. Yeah. So that's happened. that happened a lot in my 20s, and I wasn't really seeing men. I would have one-night stands and do the whole rigmarole but I also felt like I needed to work on my thing I needed to like find what I uh, was about and what I represent and what I want to make before I really want to find a boyfriend that was really part of my purpose and then when I started figuring that out I opened myself up to the idea of being in a real relationship and then I met you know I met someone at a bar and I was I went to the bar to dance alone because mm-hmm. I do that. I'm like I'm gonna go dancing. I'll do whatever the hell I want. Uh, and I think he found that attractive, and we started dancing. And it was a one night stand, and he was a lot younger than I was. Uh, but we were together for three and a half years. Yeah, wow. that was my first like really legitimate relationship, and that's the one I just got out of. Oh, this is the most recent one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the past. Uh, you know, we've been broken up for I guess like five months, but technically like separated for the last like two months how you doing um i'm i'm getting there yeah yeah i uh i just think it's important to be or i find it's it's been interesting to just be candid about the collapse Mm -hmm. phase of it um of of me feeling like suddenly my world collapsed and that means the relationship and the reality of coming back from the intensity of shooting vacation and and just really understanding that my world had shifted and just accepting it and not trying to like, get back into the comfort zone. So that's kind of what I'm going through right now. Okay. And it feels it feels like it's good, but it's... Uh, was it amicable? I mean, were you yeah. both on the same page with it all? It was. I mean, I think decision. it was me in the beginning okay. because my life was very intense. I mm-hmm. mean, you're traveling all the time. You're never around. And when you are around, you have... 10-day breaks and you're focusing on the next shoot and it's an intense subject matter and and i love my ex greatly Mm -hmm. and if he's listening i hope he hears that Mm -hmm. um and and i think he knows that and we had a true love and a true connection i just think you have to question like where that falls in into your life at what time and i think we were in the understanding of maybe it's just not the right time were you guys living together? Yeah, we yeah. lived together for a year and a half. And then he moved out before we broke up. Mm. Yeah. Was that the first mm-hmm. person you've lived with? Yeah. How was that? <laughs> I it was great and then it was really bad at times. Yeah. I started to feel suffocated. I'm I'm learning a lot about myself in the aftermath. Right? You learn a lot about yourself in the moment of what you can tolerate and why you're so impatient and why does this person get on your nerves and why can't you sleep when someone's always next to you. And, mm-hmm. and then you kind of calm yourself down and realize that it's just that's what it's about. It's about getting through that 
that kind of turmoil and gross feeling like I don't that like heavy feeling of like someone else taking over your space right. and I think at a certain point I, I started feeling like I don't want to give up my space anymore and I don't um, necessarily want to be a full unit I want to be independent but together and separate at the same time and I, I don't think he wanted that he wanted to be together um, and I was having uh, I was going through an awakening from the show I mean that changed my life right. it, it it really did. And so it's like I made the choice to go with the life-changing moment. And and I thought it was better for him that I moved on too. And I think it was. But I think you have to be clear. Anything, even in an amicable situation, when you love someone and you're a little uncertain why you're separating other than it, things are just not feeling right mm-hmm. uh, in your gut. It's just you – it's a hard and it fucks you up and it fucks up your head and that's what it did to me and I, I mean I'm able to sit here and talk about it maybe right. I mean, maybe three weeks ago I really wouldn't have been able to talk about about any of that but I think that also the relationship came at it, the collapse of the relationship came with the shift in reality of oh I'm back from all of this and like from vacation and what does it mean and what do I do now and um, I'm speaking at schools and people need me and I love and um, I feel needed but I feel alone yeah. <laughs> and I feel isolated and um, I lost my anonymity on some level, mm. and the, it's, it's just all these things. And not to—it's not about me. I just think these are universal struggles yeah. that people are going through. And I'm just learning about the transformative potential of breaking up, right. of breaking apart, of breaking yourself open. And I feel like it is a, is a spiritual experience if you let it be that. But also you go through periods where you rewire your brain into some sort of negative state of being. Um, you beat yourself up. You self-deprecate. You feel like you'll never have a love again in your entire life. And there's that phase that I was going through. Yeah. <laughs> I'm re- rewiring it back into the other direction. I, I mean, do, do you have this idea of spending the rest of your life with one person? I mean, is there this ultimate goal in a relationship? No. I, I guess I don't set out with that goal in mind. I right. just take it... A day at a time. Uh, I think with my with my ex, there was the possibility for right. that. I mean, for sure. were you guys having conversations, marriage, kids, the whole thing? No, it wasn't that. And I don't think it was like, are we going to get married or have kids? It, it really wasn't that. Just mm-hmm. like, are we are we committed to each other? Yeah, you know, that was a conversation. And it was monogamous the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Toward the end, it was getting harder. Right. I was traveling all the time, and I'm on a show, and where you're partying and yeah. doing these things. I mean, yeah. I'm not. Uh, but we we committed to the monogamy of it, yeah, we right. did, and and he came into the relationship not like kind of being like I'm not really into monogamy, and I'm like, well, I think I am. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he challenged me in that in that idea, but at the end, he sort of bended to, he was bending to what I wanted. Right. And then at the end, I'm like, is that what I want? I mm-hmm. don't. Am I capable? Um, because I'm a little all over the place in general, and I do get it. Uh, I do get excitement uh, about uh, from meeting new people. I get uh, a thrill out of being around strangers and getting yeah. to know them. Even just on an emotional level, like mm-hmm. on an intimate level, is it cheating if you sit in, or lay in bed for 12 hours and talk about your dreams and then wake up the next morning and call your boyfriend? Like, but you guys didn't hook up at all. But is that cheating? I I don't know. I don't think. I mean, that's defined between the two people, I think. Right, yeah. uh, but I think 
yeah, that's just really what it is. But I think for me, what I learned a lot about myself was about my jealousy, mm. uh, possessiveness, uh, attachment. Are you a jealous person? I, yeah, I guess sometimes I'm not, you know, I'm learning, like, it just depends on the person, I think. And if we have, if we've established this, this thing together, and I think you kind of make that contract together and you understand what that means. But I'm, I've learned about my jealousy and I'm trying to like crack that open, trying to get better at the idea of letting people do what they need to do and want to do. And they'll let me do what I need to do and want to do, but it's definitely difficult. And I think we'd be kidding ourselves to, to act like they're, we don't have jealousy or that we don't on some level have an urge to possess somebody. But I also think people are tired of that, Mm -hmm. um, established idea. (laughs) You know, it's like, why, you know, do we have to have possession over something to own the person that we're with? Yeah. So I learned a lot about my own insecurities and all that for sure through this process. And, and I've been meeting really interesting people who have a new way of looking at relationships and their own relationships. And, and I, much like you're doing on this show, I've been asking people a lot about it. I've just been curious Mm -hmm. and I've been, I've met a lot of couples who are open and potentially I've entered their lives on a minute level. And I'm cool with that because I don't have to commit to them. Right, right, I don't, right. They can have each other. I can enter the scene and have an interesting time and then go home to my own mad mind. Do you like being alone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love being alone. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Do you spend more time alone than you do with other people? Uh, I think it's balanced. Yeah. yeah I really do. Um, do you want kids at one point? Can mm-hmm. you imagine a life with kids? I used to have kid urges mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about but I definitely just uh, man yeah. ovaries exploding man, yeah like yeah. my the, the the lady in me was feeling the vibrations and um, but I don't see that as potential right now just don't really like I'm an adult baby a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I'm responsible but I'm just a little bit do you feel like you live more in your masculine than your feminine or do you have a good balance between the two I, you know, I don't, I feel in my interior world, it's a very balanced situation. In fact, I think maybe in my interior, I feel more feminine. Mm. I was raised by women, um, their sensitivity, their empathy, their creativity, uh, their generosity influenced me greatly. And I think I think like that for the most part. Now, the way I uh, come off or the way I represent myself is potentially on the more masculine spectrum, but it's not something I try to do necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just something I'm comfortable with potentially because of my upbringing, potentially because of the way I had to uh, assimilate, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have the urge to, you know, be more feminine. I just have, I'm just trying to be more myself okay. and figure out what that is. And that and that means there's a breaking open of what society wants you to be, what you've, uh, what you've been programmed to think in, in your childhood and by your parents and by society and all these things. So I'm just really thinking about that programming and how much I've been influenced by that and how much I can shift that and break open. Because I think also when you're going through this collapse, uh, the, uh, you can create a whole new world for yourself. You, for me, I don't see that there are limitations for what I can become. And so it's not like tomorrow do I want to be more feminine. It's just how do I balance that out? Uh, uh, how do I balance those energies and, and the way I feel inside with the way I appear outside? And, and does that even matter, right? Because 
you're going to think you're going to put a narrative on me no matter what. And that's what I'm learning about the show. People have a narrative and they're putting it onto my image and I'm trying to be as honest as I can on the show, but that's not really fully me. Right. Um, and then also my, it's edited and you don't, have, you know, it's yeah. a different version of you than what you thought was there mm-hmm. in the first place. So I try to forget about the narrative that you put on me. Right. Uh, and I just try to enter enter to enter this space and look at you and and try to just like give you a little bit of my energy it's working it's yeah, definitely it's working, working. Yeah. yeah and 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 then you take that with you and you decide what it is mm-hmm. but i think that you probably understand that i'm not i don't know how you feel but i don't i don't get the vibe that you feel like i'm masculine or feminine no. that i'm kind of in the in between world I think you're Ian. yeah and i i like that yeah um, but I definitely think that the exploration of the feminine is something I'm more interested in, mm-hmm. and and I wish that all people would be more interested in. And right. I and you know I think I I just think that women should be to be to be quite honest. I think that women should be running the world, mm-hmm. and I really think that you know scarily it's the opposite right now, and that's sad because I was excited I mean, been, really. for the idea that women uh, would. I just think. Just take away men's power for a while and give it mainly to women, and I think you would actually see that uh, a kindness, right, and a shift in language, and a shift in the way we talk to one another, um, and and a shift in the way that we treat each other. And I think that's what's scary about what's coming is that I sense a machoism, um, a, a, and, and then a confidence in uh, expressing your machoism. And I think we've just had that for so long, and and it's just getting worse. Yeah. Though. And but I you know there'll be a there'll be a backlash there'll there'll be a a pushback to that and um, yeah. What's the ultimate goal work wise? I know that's a really hard question, but you know just like the ultimate goal work wise, I think I've been thinking about that actually because you I do many things right, and so I have vacation and I have a lot of. I would love for vacation to continue or something like vacation where I'm like producing and, and traveling and talking to people and doing all of that same work. Mm-hmm. I don't want on what on that level. I also think that I am making films and writing films and I write plays and I, I'm doing all these other things in my own creative world that haven't yet come out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just my goals for my career are my intentions what what is my through line intention with all the things that I'm doing? Is it the same thing? Does it have to be the same thing? Um, but everything I do needs to have an intention and and I don't know if that intention is to like change the world or uh, help people, mm-hmm. but I think really it's probably to wake people up. yeah, and that's in whatever that can come in many forms. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's a perfect answer. It's hard to say that I'm going to do this or I, that. I don't know. I feel like when I'm asking you questions, um, and this is different talking to you than most of the people I've had on the show, I'm not so interested in necessarily what the answer is. It's how you answer it. You're fascinating. I mean, I didn't know really anything about you besides this character of yourself that you play on TV. Because mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it is. That's what every show is. That's what every character in every show is. No matter if it's a reality show or, you know, a news show or a scripted show, it's always going to be a character mm-hmm. of yourself. You can't get all of it out. Right? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely, 
I definitely watch the show and I don't feel like it's me a lot of the time. Yeah. Right? I'm funnier than that. Hello. Are you super critical of yourself while watching? Yeah. Them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and but you let go. You learn to let go. Mm-hmm. You learn to just say that's what I look like. I don't. It's an interesting thing. You're like I'm not yeah. going to worry about how I look or really how I sound or what I uh, I say the wrong word. You you can say lots of wrong things on the show. Right. Really, you're, I'm more critical about saying the wrong thing in terms of is that going to be offensive to someone? Was that the most thoughtful way to say that? And that's where you learn a lot uh, on that kind of show. I think with your kind of show, there's a lot of learning there because you know you could potentially say something negative or wrong or mm-hmm. offensive to people. And so I don't, I haven't seen you do that. I haven't heard you do that yet. <laughs> I try really hard. <laughs> uh, um, but I haven't listened to the whole thing. Uh, but I mean, really, your job is is what you're doing is like giving me good eye contact, right? Uh-huh. And, and you seem pretty open-minded and like gentle. So you're easy to talk to. Okay. Um, I've enjoyed getting to know your, your podcast. I didn't know of you. Right. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. You know, all the, I don't know. All the love. Have nothing love you. to yeah. apologize for. That's so, not true. All the love. Well, I was love looking me. at your Instagram. I'm like, wow, wow, <laughs> wow. Well, how does my Instagram shirt. make you feel? I like. I actually really like your Instagram because you're doing something with the photographs that I feel is artistic, mm. and and you're revealing in a way, in a way that's um, um. There's like a spiritual component to it, or you're trying to, you're actually trying to say something, I think, a little bit mystical, yeah, and not so sexual. But I think your sexual, uh, your sexual expression, and your freedom of with your sexuality and your fluidity, it comes into play with your mystical journey, <laughs> right? Uh, but I want, this is potentially for later. But I, I've been reading your energy, right? Been feeling your vibe through the airwaves and. <laughs> I'm wondering, I think I wonder sometimes what's underneath some of that. And, um, you know, and I think it is the question of why you, why are you making this podcast? Right. And I think you're searching for something when in fact you're kind of, I think maybe that's my critique is that it's not that you have all the answers, but you're confident. Like that's your thing, right? This, you're a confident person. Potentially that's like narcissistic mm-hmm. and comes off that way but you're saying it's confidence and I would agree you have a confident aura Mm -hmm. but I think what are you you're searching for something on this show personally am I? I? yeah I do think so I think you're I think you're searching for um, other people like you Mm -hmm. other people to like not justify you but validate validate maybe a little bit like Mm -hmm. hey is is this journey I am on the thing okay are you doing it too type of thing yeah Yeah, there's some of that going on Uh, and also I'm just I just feel that you're um, yeah you're looking for something deeper also within this world where you've not labeled yourself but you're being labeled by for not labeling yourself right it's fucked right which is a crazy conundrum do you feel like if I didn't look the way that I do I would be able to talk about these things as freely and Accepting as I am, meaning like if you weren't a Hollywood heartthrob, as yeah. Kathy Lee called you, she did. She <laughs> Sorry did. About that. There was a fucking true story. There was an L article that came out a couple months ago. That the title of the article was, "Do you want to know what it's like to be too good looking?" Ask Nico Tortorella. Right. And do you feel like you're too good looking? No. I mean, I'm aware of what I look like. Yeah. Um, 
and I like, I love what I look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought about your looks before I came in here. Yeah. I, well, you wrote about it too. Yeah, I wrote about it. I think your looks are a big part of who you are. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a gift and a curse. Yeah. It just is. And I mean, but like I do, there is a privilege that comes with the way I look, right? And mm-hmm. are people going to listen to what I say more than they would listen to somebody else because of the way that I look? I mean, yeah. And I'm at a point now where like I have to figure out what that means and how I use it in the best possible way that I can to affect positive change. And like that's what I'm looking for on the show. It's like what is the message? What mm-hmm. is the voice that I want to have? Um, and I think it's like slowly coming together. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the through line's pretty clear, mm-hmm. but then it's also about you, which I think is great. I mean, it's about your personal journey, but you need to like go on it more. Right. And I think that that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. Like we're talking about you, and like it's not about you. It's about um, the idea of. I think it really is about the idea of options and commitment and privilege and, and appearance and soul searching and all these layers of of like who we are. I don't know. I'm getting all like mystical about it. No, but, no. I mean, I was planning on getting But also, there. you know, it's like it's about your voice. It's about how y- the vibrations of you hit people. Mm-hmm. And yours is through this microphone and mine is through the visual format. And um, I, if I were better looking... Then maybe. But isn't that funny? I have a microphone and you have a visual format. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Just call me ugly, everybody. No, I did no, not. Uh, I, but I didn't say that at oh all. Oh, my God. Oh, shut Nico. the fuck up. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm not looking for that. Um, but what I'm getting at is, like, I definitely, you know, I, like, I'm fine on camera. It's not like, ooh. No, I, I have, love you on camera. Yeah, but I'm saying my personality, it's just about the about the soul, man. And right. it's about, it is about your electricity, mm-hmm. right? And do and your, and your vibrations and how they hit the camera. Same, I'm sure, with you on TV or the way yeah. that your voice sounds in, in this room. But, like, people take you as a genuine person. Right. And I don't really, like, I don't need your beauty to want to listen to this but your beauty is attached because it's about people you've slept with well kind of I mean there's like four there's people f- in 14 episodes that I've slept with oh that's it those are the ones <laughs> those are the ones to. you've listened to yeah sorry no it's okay no I just felt like you've had a relationship with a lot of the people I mean, I've been I've been close with a lot of people mm-hmm. um I mean I feel like I'm not like I could be more articulate with my words I feel like I'm not necessarily as intelligent as some of my guests that come on the show. Well, that's not your job. Yeah. You know, I think your job is to give them the opportunity to talk. Right. But, yeah, it's your job to pull things out of them. And I think I worry about that on Gaycation, but, you know, that's – I have to study. Yeah. Uh, I do study a lot for that show of, because a lot of it's very serious and a lot of it is uh, – a lot of them are interviews you have to be educated on. But then once you start – when you start throwing that out the window, right. Right, you learn and then you throw it away – um, it's just not like two I humans prepare. having a conversation. Yeah, you just yeah. say, how can I connect to you? And then how much do I have to give of myself right. uh, to make this interesting? And how much are you going to to give it all to me? And so I don't know. With Gaycation, it's more about – it's just like tracking. 
it's like predicting where they might take it, um, like reading their energy like a beat before they give it. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and, totally makes sense. And so with your job, it's like the same, I guess. You know, it's like where do you – I think it's different because this is a, this can be a meandering, long conversation that right. doesn't have to like happen, you know, in vacation. I know where I need to get to yeah. if I'm lucky. Right. And then someone will surprise me and we'll go down another path, but I know I need to steer it back in this direction. Whereas with you, it's kind of whatever people want to talk about. Right. But you're you have the container of relationships and love and um, labeling seems to be a thing. Yeah, I mean, I like I didn't even ask you really how you label yourself. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but yeah, definitely. I mean, it's part of the gay. I'm gay, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm proud to say that. Right. Um, and in that scenario, like I'm cool with the label. Yeah. I mean, it's just part of the territory now. I think I spent many years just not wanting to say it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's going to be awful. I have to tell people I'm gay because of the way I was raised and 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 the the attachments to that word, the stigmas and the horrible things that were being said about it. So why would you want to call yourself that? So there's that. But now I'm, it's like in the face of that, I will say that I'm gay and I don't flinch at it. And, and that's really given me confidence and like a fuck you attitude. Right. Um, so, you know, the question of labels and are they good or are they bad? And I, I, I talk about that a lot and, yeah. uh, with people on the show. And I don't, have an, I don't have an opinion necessarily. I think for some people they don't work, right? But we're in a society where we name things. We have names for everything. Yeah. Um, and we have containers for everything. So at some point it becomes a radical act to label yourself, I think. Right? It's a radical act to say I'm trans mm-hmm. because that puts you at risk and danger uh, in, in the face of violence. Right? So there's something really radical about naming who you are and being proud of naming it and, and saying fuck you to all of that. And then there's also I understand where young kids in school are like I don't want to label anything because it's considered bad. Mm-hmm. And so why would I put something like a bad badge on me or, or a badge where it like targets me? So I understand, but I think meeting young people uh, on the trip, uh, the more radical ones are just taking language and doing it, whatever they want with language. Mm-hmm. Zim, Zem, Zay, they're mm-hmm. using Z as a pronoun. They're reinventing the LGBTQ alphabet. And, and I love that. That was inspiring because they, they felt like labels were important because mm-hmm. they can self-define. I mean, hasn't that been happening forever, though, with the, with, within the community? Yeah, I just think now it's just getting... We're just talking about it more. We're talking about it more, but no, I think young kids, you know, now more there are more trans kids in school, and then when you see a trans kid in school, uh, you start changing the language, yeah. right? You you know, once one word comes out and it's this is what's attached to it, you create another word, and it, like it pushes the envelope. I think. Right. I just think I think what's scary for me is that I and I don't know. I've been talking to people from the White House and I met some people at the Out 100 party that mm-hmm. worked at the White House and they were talking about training their the Trump version of them. Mm-hmm. And these are people that worked really hard to get bills in place for trans uh, children in schools and bathrooms and giving them more rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And that has a lot of potential to be stripped away. So I think about language in that sense and labeling because if you're in a radical moment because your school is allowing you to have these separate bathrooms and, and is, accepting, is accepting of the trans experience and you're coming out because of that and 
then there's another government that can come into place and wipe that out, which is going to create more bigotry. And, and then here you are out of, out with it and talking to people about it. And I think there's potential for violence and you're more of a target. So it's confusing. It's a confusing time. Um, and I'm not articulating that so well, but I think, you know, maybe it just doesn't need to be connected to labels. But I, I think about labels a lot because I think in back in the day, I would call myself all kinds of things to avoid. Personally, this is just me. You know, like this is what? Not, I just would say I'm asexual. Mm-hmm. And and maybe potentially I, I was feeling that way okay. without really understanding what that is and that that's a real thing, right? right? And that people are asexual and I just was more to, more so just using it as a means to avoid the conversation around being gay uh, because in my world it was more accepting to be asexual and androgynous than to be a gay, right. gay guy. Um, so... All right, one more question. Okay, we can okay. be done in this fucking room. <laughs> what does love mean to you? Like, what is love? Silence. Silence. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Love is silence and patience hmm. and an opening and a discovery of your real self. Mm-hmm. It's compromise. It's expansiveness. That's what's coming to mind. I that don't works. Oh, yeah. Let's you know, go. You, yeah. Let's go get something to eat. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Fuck, Ian. Um, okay, true story. I'm trying to put an outro down for your episode, and I'm worked up. You work me up. I am talking in circles. I don't know exactly what to say. You ignite something in me that uh, I am not just surprised by, but excited for. Um, You have hit a chord both physically, emotionally, um, and most importantly, uh, intellectually. I... I look up to you so much, man. Um, I I don't know. I can't wait to spend more time with you and just keep learning from you um, and uh, inspire each other. So if you want to be inspired by Mr. Ian Daniel as well, uh, follow him on Instagram at Ian James Daniel. That's at I-A-N-J-A-M-E-S-D-A-N-I-E-L. And check out Gaycation if you haven't. It is by far the most powerful, uh, influential show that exists uh, in all things surrounding the community. Um, I could not be prouder of his work uh, and also Ellen Page's work. I mean, you, you both are the shit. What will we be at the end of this, Ian? But why does there have to be the end?